We love you, God, and it is the power of Jesus' name that we pray. Saying amen. Amen. So, cool thing happened a couple weeks ago. A few weeks ago, uh, uh, <laughs> Mackenzie Bronson comes to me and says, Listen, Kevin, Zoe has a desire to read in front of church. I said, Yes, let's do it. She said, And we have a desire for Matt to sing in church. And I said, Me too because I've been asking him for two years to sing. He's like, no, not happening. That was that impression. (laughs) Well, you saw Matt singing today, so you know what's about to happen. Our friend Zoe has been preparing all week to come and read the Word of God for us. And so, Zoe, thank you for saying yes and having this idea as you come and bless us with God's Word. I'll hold the mic for you. And she will read for us. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and sights performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who, daily those who were being saved. Amen. All right. Way to go, Zoe. How old are you? Seven years old. Way to go. Thanks for leading by example. That is beautiful. We're wrapping up our series today, our series called Let's Talk About It, where we've been exploring these essential beliefs of our faith and how they intersect with our life and our faith every single day. And this really is the culmination of our series, you know, because we believe the Bible is true and is our final authority. That was week one. We also know we're a group of sinners. Oh man, that was week two. You had to wait for week three, which was saved by grace. We're a group of sinners saved by grace. And this word, that is true, tells us we are called together as God's family to serve him on mission together. As you may have picked up from the reading that Zoe had from Acts 2, today's all about community. Because we are a local community, small c church, connected to the greater community, the capital C church. So that means we can all together be fully unified in all areas of thought and belief, and we can link arms together and do a perfect two-step and walk into the sunset while singing hymns in perfect pitch. Right? Yep, that's us. No, if only, if only, if only. Believe it or not, uh, for some reason, church communities tend to disagree on a lot of stuff. And we're not exempt from that. And yet, despite our differences, or perhaps even enhanced by our differences, we're called to wrestle and contend for healthy, vibrant, God-honoring, and gospel-centered community. That's what we're talking about this morning. What is this gospel-centered community? You just heard a vivid example from Acts. We'll revisit that passage in a few minutes. And if you're here, that means you likely believe that at least on some level, being a part of a church community is important. But you've probably also heard that little idea that our faith is a private faith. 
It's just Jesus, my coffee, and me. There's a trinity for you, an unholy, <laughs> quite an unholy trinity, dare say. Not the trinity we believe in. You see, there is a private element to the faith, yes, but we're also created to come together. We were created to come together for worship, created to come together for fellowship. That is part of what has been so hard these past couple years, the inability to come together. The reality is we are created for community. Just consider the biblical narrative. God. God is relational in his very being. For the triune God is, is there's three aspects of God. God is three in one, and yet they make up one holy being, but they exist in a perfect relational harmony. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God has never been outside of a relationship. God is relational to his core. And what did he do? He made us in his very image, made us to reflect who he is in all his ways, meaning we, in our DNA, are relational to our core. Not just that, but why did he make us? Because he loves us, and he had a deep desire for what? A relationship with us. He didn't make us as robots to be these peons to do his bidding. He could have, but he gave us free will. Why did he give us free will? So that we would choose a relationship with him. And then you look at the creation account. He makes Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. Him and these animals, this is no way to be. This is not, this is not my design. No, my design is for males and females to live in harmony, in community, together. And then you go to the New Testament, you look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His ministry was a relational ministry. He didn't just go it alone. He didn't even have a home. He relied on others, his entire ministry, to be a family. And then we look in the book of Acts, and the church is established by Jesus, built upon his disciple Jesus and the apostles, and how it goes out to establish his family united together to fulfill his mission work. There's a private element to our faith, but we were created for community. Look at Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Man, we know, we know church community is not always harmonious. We know there's a lot of brokenness because it's made up of broken people, but before we get into all of that, let's just acknowledge, just as the psalmist acknowledges, that in its design and at its best, there is nothing better than God's people coming together in harmony. And we see that on display in Acts. Just as Zoe read for us, we revisit the text with our eyes towards the vibrancy and gospel-centric nature of this community. Here again, the word of the Lord. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through verse 48. The apostles devoted themselves, the disciples that is, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. 
everyone, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What do we first notice? As a community, they had a purpose. And that purpose revolved fully around God. They're devoted to the truth. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. That is the, the truth. They were, they were seeking obedience together. And the apostles' teaching, it included the Old Testament, but especially for those, which this would have been a great group of Jewish folk, knew their Old Testament. Their teachings were centered around Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. They're devoted to this truth. And if you remember, 3,000 believers were just added to the number of disciples after Pentecost. And then we read this passage. They were just captured by this good news, and they are now devoted to learning this everlasting truth. They wanted to get it right, to seek that obedience together. But they were also devoted to fellowship. I have a whole thing on the Lord of the Rings and the fellowship and how it's such a beautiful encapsulation of that. But because I don't want to amaze three of you and bore the rest of you, I'll save that for another thing, okay? Maybe I'll do that online or something this week. But um, they were devoted to fellowship. We use that word a lot, but I think we forget the depth of its power. And this is amazing because the church at this point, it's an infant. So they're figuring out what it means to be a community together. You know, who's going to plan the potluck? (laughs) Who's going to sit where? And what if someone sits in my seat? No, no, it was a lot deeper than that. They longed to be together. It was the natural step out of their shared love for Jesus and his good news was to be surrounded by others who shared that love. And I do love this, hallmarks of the church, food and prayer. Right there. (laughs) What does that show us, though? They cared deeply together about physical necessity and spiritual necessity. Both were important. They were devoted to both and making sure everyone in their community had access to both. And both of those things were sources of joy and love and praise as it connected to Jesus Christ who again modeled true fellowship around the table and in prayer together. And they did everything together. Everything. Everything together. They lived life together in the public spaces and in their homes. Not because they had to, but because the love they shared demanded nothing less. They have the bond of love centered in Christ, which makes them family. That's what the church is, after all, a family on mission together, looking out for one another, caring for one another, bound together 
by our shared love of God, our worship and praise of God who first loved us as we also love one another. Just as they belong to Christ, they also belong to one another. And this is our blueprint for community, for gospel-centered community. And it's in our DNA as Christ followers. For this is the continuation of the very type of community Jesus Christ had established and cultivated in his ministry with his disciples. I want us to look at something Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Because this is further biblical instruction surrounding community. He starts with this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? He says that knowing that the answer is absolutely yes. Is there any comfort from his love? Absolutely yes. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Absolutely yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. Then what? Because those things are true, make my joy complete. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul is happy about their bond with Christ, their love experienced and shared by community, by their tender and compassionate hearts, all in response to God's love. But the strongest encouragement he gives here to complete his joy is to agree wholeheartedly with one another, to be unified and in unity, truly loving one another, and being compelled by that bond of love to work together as one. There are times when what the Bible presents to us seems impossible. But we're not to decide what God can and can't do through the power of his Spirit. And so instead of saying there's no way this is possible, we have to say, God, how do you make this possible? And then seek his will and his path to make it so. Paul, who wrote this, he knew a lot of hurt. He had encountered betrayal in his life. One of his ongoing things throughout his writings was his deep longing for his brothers that he had contended for in the faith as a Jewish man to come and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they never did. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. But we also know that he encountered disagreements in the faith and separation from others who saw things differently. He knew the pain and the damage of disunity. And so here, he is calling us back to that unity because otherwise it causes damage to the body of Christ. So what does it take, does he spell out, to be unified? Well, you can't be selfish. You, you can't be about it to please people. You have to only be about pleasing God. You need to have a healthy dose of humility and obviously to be selfless, thinking of others first. And not only that, He says to get after this in a way, in an active way. You can't just be passive in this. You have to look out and be on the lookout, not just for your own interests, but to take an interest in others too, because seeking unity is an ongoing and active work. Does that sound hard? Yeah, because it is. But it is not a healthy 
vibrant, thriving community until it gets hard. Let's talk about that. A few cornerstones that we see of healthy community from these passages. The first is this, that community, God-centered community, is both united and grace-filled. The natural question, how can we be so united when there is so much conflict? You've heard the horror stories about churches blowing up over the pettiest of disputes. Maybe you've lived through some of those. And sure, our church is not immune to that possibility either. It can be hard to always be unified. And you may think that, that, that we, hope, is pretty unified as a church. And in a lot of ways, absolutely we are. But there's a lot of differing opinions here too, aren't there? Just think about the past couple of years, what we've learned about each other, right? Mm-hmm. Let's think about our church for a minute. We'll start a little more lighted-hearted, and then we'll get, maybe not for some of you, and then we'll get a little deeper. Did you know our church is made up of Michigan fans and Michigan State fans? For some reason, Notre Dame fans and even the Ohio State University fans? What? Who let those people in? (laughs) Our church is made up of tea lovers and coffee drinkers and those who don't even want to touch a hot beverage. We have Republicans. We have Democrats. We have those who are anti-gun. We have those who are pro-gun. You want to talk church-specific? We have some who believe that it's not a worship song unless you are singing along with the organ. And we have some that say the Bible says sing a new song, so if we sing anything older than 10 years old, it's not count. It doesn't count. We got both those spectrums present here now. And you're probably like, oh, I know where I am on that spectrum. And I know where you are on that spectrum too because I get to hear about it. We all have different ideas of how we're supposed to dress when we come to church. Does God care about the condition of our hearts or do we put on our best for God because he's given us our best? The answer is yes to both of those, but maybe we all have different expressions of that, says the pastor who often preaches in jeans, though strategically did not today. And then we have those that, even though it's not debatable, still think tithing is an optional thing. Oh, did that pinch a nerve? It was meant to. All of these are meant to pinch a nerve, but because this is a grace-filled community, we do it in love. Because first of all, this thing we do is kind of crazy, okay? Just consider, if you can for a minute, being an outsider who never grew up in the church looking into what we do each and every week. It's a little strange to the world standards. But what you are doing here now, as you sit and receive my jests and all of this in love, is that there is something so profoundly beautiful about coming together, even in spite, despite these differences, that we can still be unified over one thing. See, we hold different opinions over so many things. That was the smallest tip of the iceberg. We could really break it down, right? And yet we still gather in love. We are still here. We are called to be united, but what are we united around? Well, we call our church 
community to unity, not over all these things, but around the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We were created by God. We are created for God, to be a community of God. So we will be united around the good news of God. Unity is not uniformity. We're not diving into the passage today, but there's a whole thing on the body of Christ and how uniquely we all operate and are called to serve the greater body. Praise God for our differences. Praise God that we can unify around his good news. Because he's made us unique. And yes, he's made us with opinions. Strong ones. Really, really strong ones. Really strong ones. But as a church community, we're called to be united around our shared love of God and his gospel while seeking him and his way in every area of our communal life. Consider this quote by Pastor Bob Hyatt. Healthy community is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. The way God's crafted me, I am so conflict-averse. I also know there's some folks who love a good, healthy conflict. This has helped me in my fear of conflict in a position that often has to navigate significant conflict to say, ah, there is such beauty within the conflict when we allow Jesus Christ into that space and allow him to transform that conflict into something beautiful. So a question for us all to consider, how do we invite Jesus into the midst of disagreements, into the midst of conflict? We as our church are navigating the possibility of leaving our denomination. How do we invite Jesus into that high-stakes church-wide reality? We refocus our devotion to him. We do what the apostles did, surrounding ourselves to his teaching and having Christ-centered fellowship. Agree around the things that really matter and letting go of the things that don't. That doesn't mean we don't care about people's views on all these things. We do, but we care about the most important thing, and that is Christ and his good news. You've probably heard this expression that's attributed to Augustine. This is in our new member booklet. This is a mode of operation for us here at Hope Church. And it says, around things of faith and theology and essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity, grace, love. See, we agree on things that really matter, the essentials of our core theology. That means if you're in here and say, I don't think Jesus Christ was actually the Son of God, we're going to have some talking to do. And we'd like to walk alongside of you graciously, but we are united around that belief. We believe in a triune God. We, we, we believe that he is worthy of praise. We believe that he is all-powerful. We believe that we are sinners saved only and only by his grace. We believe the Bible is the true word of God. We believe it's our final authority. These are a small encapsulation of our essential theology, that if you were to remove one of those, then you're taking a step away from Christianity. So we believe those things. We are united around those things. But are there also things that we will disagree on that are not salvation issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. You and I may hold difference of opinion on if women can be elders or not. Our church believes yes, and you may have a different opinion than that. There's room for tension within that. 
There's room for tension around a whole lot of non-essential things. Though they're non-essential, they're still important to seek God and his will around those things. But there is liberty here. We can get along. We can do good ministry together all around those things. Even if there's disagreement on what our church ought to do in this denomination right now. Theologically, we have a belief. Practicality, what we do as a church, if you disagree on that, we can still live in unity together. We can can disagree without disengaging. Sometimes the, the, the risk is if we disagree, I'm going to take my ball and go home, right? My encouragement with you is if you have something that's festering within you and you have not yet done what Matthew 18 tells us to do, to bring it to the person of what you have an offense with and in grace, gracious community seek resolution and forgiveness and understanding, all that stuff, then please don't leave because it's not your time. But if you have done those things and, and there's, been a, there's just a different direction, let's talk about it so you can leave with a mutual blessing, okay? We can disagree without disengaging. But over all things, no matter what, what do we not do? We will never forsake love because God loved us first. He is love embodied. And so we will cover all things with a heavy dose of grace, not shirking from the truth, but everything with grace, for grace abounds. We are all sinners saved by grace, trying to do the best we can with what we got. If grace abounds, it must continue to abound in this community as we seek to be obedient to God's truth. And that's the tension. Can we hold tightly to our biblical convictions while also welcoming and loving every single person in our midst? You better believe it, because if not, we're not being the church. The mark of the Christian is love. And the mark of the church ought to be compassion. Because we are a group of people transformed by God's grace. That is why we are called to stand out from the world. Why we ought to look different. Why the world will never understand until they are also captured by that same amazing grace that has captured us. As Henry Nouwen puts it, it's a compassion that surprises and captures others. So the question is, are we as a church community living with a compassion that surprises and captures others? And drill it down even more personal, are we individually living our lives with a compassion that surprises and captures others? That means are the things we do in the public space God-honoring and grace-filled? Are the things that we post online showered with the compassion of Christ? Because if the world's to know us, if they know us, they ought to know we're Christian. And so what we say and what we do reflects on him and reflects on us. Let's have a moment of real talk here. How many of you have had to unfollow someone in the past couple years because of their strong opinions being shared online? Oh boy, a lot of hands. A lot of hands went up quickly and a lot that were like, yep. Don't raise your hands for this one, but what about unfollowing people that you love dearly, that you love dearly maybe even from this church? Because our opinions can differ, can't they? As we contend for unity around Jesus Christ, 
we all have to consider ourselves. And am I, what, am I putting up dividing walls by my words and my posts and the things I do in life? Or am I leading with compassion? No one's mind has ever, ever, ever been changed because of something posted on Facebook. But they have been changed by radical grace and compassion. That's why we're all here. Because we've been captured by a love that overcomes all. So we will lead with a love that overcomes all as representatives of the one who went to the cross. Let's rise above the noise of the rest of the world and stand out, not by adding to the noise, but by surprising the world with this grace that saved our lives. A couple more cornerstones that we'll go through here a little bit quicker. The next one is that God-centered community, we are called together to be sent out called together to be sent out. If we only did things together and we don't go out and share the love of Jesus, we're no better than a social club. And if we are only out there in the world without returning to recalibrate and worship together, then we're not a God-centered community. We are called together to be sent out, and we are sent out to then be called together, just as the apostles and the disciples did. The together piece, we remember what is true. We remember what is good. We join our voices and worship to God to be built up, encouraged, inspired, challenged as we operate together right here in Westwood as a local missional outpost to share the love of Christ right in this immediate area. But we are also a sent out people to be missionaries where we live, where we work, where we play in all facets of life. Jesus called his disciples to send them out, and he sent them out to call them back and share what had been done and what God had been doing. The next is that in God-centered community, we say, come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. I want to put a banner up. I'm probably not going to do it, but I want to put one up that says, no perfect people allowed. Come the weary, the hurting, the broken, the outcast. There are no perfect people allowed here. All are welcome. Come as you are. But all of us, the longing is to not stay as we are because to encounter Jesus is to be transformed. And we long for all of us to encounter Jesus and be transformed by his love. See, life change is what we are about as a local church family. If I'm and your leadership are not providing you opportunities for growth, we are not fulfilling our call. We are longing to be spiritually mature, not spiritually stagnant. And we can only provide you opportunities for growth, but you have to show up and do the work. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Become who God is longing you to be. And what else does our blueprint show us? That God-centered community, it is to be a part of a team. Christianity is a team sport. If we're relational by nature, we are not in this alone. We got the Holy Spirit binding us together and sending us out. This is not a spectator sport. And tied to that, church is not about what we get out of it. 
oh, there's a lot of fringe benefits of being a part of a church. But that is not the focus because we are not here to be consumers. We are here to be kingdom contributors by being an active part in God's design for fulfilling his great commission that he's given each and every one of us. And if you're here today, even if it's your first time, you just got, you just got sent to be on Hope's team. You are on Team Hope. I wish I had a uniform. Guess it'd be like a flannel and jeans would be the uniform if you follow me. That'd be weird. <laughs> Hope is your team and you have a role to play. You see, we suffer and we struggle if we have the best bench in the league but no one willing to sub in. While there are seasons in life where we are absolutely called to rest and recover and recuperate, if we've been hurt, we need to catch a breather. There are seasons when there's time, but if you're no longer hurt, it is time to get in the game. For we were created for community. And if you don't believe this is a team thing, then I'm operating wrong because I need to give you, I need to pull back the curtain and show you a little bit of my mode of operation for what I do up here to give you a message. A lot of people think a message is kind of like a lecture, but lectures are helpful and wonderful, but that's more of an intellectual download. I'm not just about you getting content. I am. I want you to know the truth of God's word. Absolutely. What I do up here, (laughs) I want you to imagine your favorite halftime speech from your favorite motivational sports movie. That's what I imagine when I step up here every day. Because you just played a half. You just had a week. And it was hard. You probably got beaten down by stuff. The world tried to influence you in ways. You probably gave in to some temptation. And and you're just struggling, but doing the best you can. But they're killing us out there. You show up to the locker room. Smells a lot better here. To our locker room. And I come in and I prepare each week to say, you know what? They need to be reminded of what is true and they need to be inspired to know God is with them to get out there in the second half and do what God has called them to do. And so each and every Sunday I get up here, I imagine myself as that coach. I imagine I'm Kurt Russell in Miracle or whatever, okay? And I'm getting up. I am giving you my all so that you can be inspired and encouraged and ultimately allow the Spirit to work in and through you to get out there for God and to his glory. We are a team. We were created for community. And this is our team. And we need you. The kingdom suffers if you're not engaged. God calls us to serve him as a part of a community because we are created for a community. And this community will be what you make it. Gospel-centered community. It is united around Christ and his grace. We are called together. We are sent out. We come as we are, and we experience love and acceptance and mercy. And we are transformed by that grace to not remain as we are. And we are called to get in the game because we are a part of Team Hope. And God had something mighty for us in that second half. As we look at those things, pay attention to where you might feel a bit of a sting because that may be perhaps the Spirit trying to help recalibrate you and what is next for you. Because this is who we are as a family. I have there on the table for as you leave, it's a list of our core values. 
That's your playbook. Everything we do can be found in those values. If, we don't, if those don't exist in something we do as a church, we've missed the mark. So my encouragement is to grab your playbook and see how you can live into those as a part of this Bible-believing group of sinners saved by grace, called to worship and serve God together, all to his glory, and yes, even for our good. Let's stand out. Let's surprise this world that is so broken by sin. Let's surprise them with the compassion and grace that we have all received as we reflect Jesus Christ's transformational love. Praise God for who he is that he has called us together to be sent out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your unshakable church, for calling us to be a part of this local expression of your greater family, and for giving us gifts and equipping us along the way to do what you have called us to do. We thank you that we can see our DNA present all the way back in that church in Acts, all the way back to the beginnings of creation. So rekindle within us once more a passion to serve and follow you, Lord. Rekindle in us again what it means to be sinners, yes, saved by grace, called into a difficult, sin-stained world to shine your light. May we be united around you and your good news, and we learn to live despite our disagreements, ultimately to honor and glorify you. And God, we just give you thanks for this church community of which we belong. I'm certain I don't speak alone when I say there have been so many blessings that have come from being part of your family here. So much goodness, so much mercy, so much compassion, shared breaking of bread and prayer and surrounding each other in true, true God-centered fellowship. We thank you. We thank you for those blessings, and we, we praise your name for bringing us together. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.